great to have you all here on this Easter Sunday, and we want to think about what it means that Christ is risen today. Today is obviously Resurrection Sunday, or Easter Sunday, as it has come to be known in our culture, but it's on this day and it's on this weekend that we remember and that we celebrate the most, I think we could safely say, the most amazing series of events that has ever happened to humankind. This was infinitely better than the one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind, that first step on the moon. This was infinitely bigger than any human discovery ever in history, even the discovery of the internet or the smartphone. The fact that our Creator God provided a way for eternal life by defeating death, by defeating evil, by raising His Son from the dead is a miracle that is beyond equal. But it's way more than a one-time miracle on one day in history. All of that is important, and all of that is why we celebrate Resurrection Day. It's, a, it's an historical event. But the resurrection also has ongoing benefits. It doesn't stop with one day. The resurrection of Jesus means, as I started to talk to the children, means a resurrection for his people. Jesus going from death to life means that people can go from death to life. Resurrection Sunday is all about transformation. It's all about the most profound and most miraculous transformation that could ever be conceived, never mind actually happen. On Friday, we remembered the death of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. More accurately, we remembered his life and his death. It was his perfect life, his, his perfect obedience to the Father and to, and to God's laws that allowed him to die in the place of sinners. And that was from God's vantage point. From a human vantage point, it was his life and his claims. Those very things that made his own people conspire against him and conspire with the Romans to kill him in the most cruel and, and terrible and unfair and unjust way. But all of those events were, were part of God's eternal purpose from the beginning of time to bring glory to himself by saving a people unto himself who didn't deserve God, nor did they have any other way of getting to God. All of this accomplished God's purpose and plan to, as Ephesians 1 says, to the praise of his glory. The Son's accomplishments in life and his accomplishments in death provided a substitute for all those who would believe on him. He took our penalty for sin against God, our rebellion against God. He took the penalty for that, which is the death penalty. The wages of sin is death, and we get the righteousness of Jesus, which is the only way that sinning people can ever stand before God, justified. But it doesn't end there. In order for God to vindicate himself completely, Jesus could not stay in the tomb. He has to come out of this alive. And that's what happened on that very first Lord's Day. His nail-scarred, blood-stained body that was laid in that tomb 
twitched. It came to life. The Father raised the Son from the dead. There was a resurrection that happened. He who died on the cross openly and publicly was raised from the dead on the third day, as Jesus himself said he would earlier. Love those words. Jesus burst out of that tomb. Death could not hold him. Death would not be the end of the story. In fact, death would just be the beginning of a new chapter. When Jesus burst out of the tomb, it opened up life for everyone. The wages of sin is death, no doubt. Our wages for sin are well-deserved. But the gift of God is eternal life. It is a gift. It is a gift to the undeserving. And that gift is accomplished through the resurrection of Jesus. Because he lives, we can live forever. All of that is because of the resurrection. And in fact, the good news is not good news without the resurrection. We sometimes miss that in our gospel presentations. We talk about the cross and and how our response to the cross is to trust Jesus. And all of that is good and right. But the gospel would not be the gospel if Jesus would have stayed in the tomb. The fact of the matter, to bring it down to the bare bones, is that if Jesus had not been raised from the dead, sinners who are dead in their sins cannot be given spiritual life. We would remain dead. We would, want to put it that way, we, want to stay, we would stay in the tomb of our sin without any hope. Just listen to how the resurrection is connected with salvation. 1 Peter 1 verse 3 says, God caused us to be born again. How? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Another verse we like to quote in our gospel presentations is Romans 10 verse 9. To say that someone just has to confess Jesus and to believe Jesus in order to be saved. But listen to the whole verse. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that what? What do you have to believe? That God raised him from the dead. Then it says you will be saved. You must believe that a resurrection happened. So it's the resurrection and our belief in the resurrection that gives new life. That allows sinful people to be born again. Because Jesus was raised, you too can be raised. You can be made alive with him. And with that in mind, I just want to give a word to you that have joined with us this Easter but are not part of this church. Uh, you live here in the area and, and you've come today and we are glad that you are here. We are glad that you have joined us. And we want to make sure that you hear this good news, that you can be raised to eternal life. If you're not sure what will happen to you after you die, if you're not sure whether or not you have trusted in Jesus and his life and his death and his resurrection, then you want, we want you to know how you, you can receive this gift from God. It comes by acknowledging that you're a sinner. And that you can't do anything to save yourself. Not going to church on Christmas and Easter. Not giving to the poor. Not the sacrament of baptism or or absolution or marriage. You need something that comes from outside your own efforts. You need something that was done by someone on Friday. And on a Sunday in history. 
You need someone to show his love in such a way that he sent his son to take the wrath for the punishment and the penalty of your sins. You need someone who not only died but was raised again to life so that you could be raised to life. While God in his love and in his grace sent someone to do all of that. He sent his only son, Jesus. And what he requires from you is that you turn away from your sinning that you, and that you put away all reliance on your own efforts and that you trust instead totally on Jesus and what he did on the cross and by being raised from the dead. Please, if you want to know more about that, we're going to be, Pastor Wayne and I will be around after the service and we'd love nothing more than to, than to talk to you about that. You might want to talk to one of our elders or one of your family members or friends that you came with today. They, they, they'd help you with that as well. All right, that's all introduction to say that when we are born again to new life, it's because of the resurrection that we, as God's people, have been radically changed so that as long as we're still alive on this earth, we now have new motivations, new abilities, which are granted to us by God. And the foremost of those abilities is the simple but oh so profound characteristic called love. Love how the girl sang that this morning. I could sing of your love forever. It's God's love that transforms us and now he calls us to love. As Christians, we talk a lot about love and well, we should. But I just want to show you today that it's the resurrection that actually makes love possible. And if love is an ability that comes to us through the resurrection, then we need to give attention to this characteristic and make sure it's something that we strive to exemplify in our lives and especially in our church. Here's why I say that. Turn with me to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. And I want to read for us, and you can follow along as I read, verses 11 to 18. And let me just remind you that if... You are new here today. We have Bibles that are in the, in the chairs in front of you. Uh, they're not in every chair, but uh, find one or ask someone to, to get you one if you don't have one. And, and we invite you, if you don't have a Bible at home, to take those home with you. We want you to have a Bible in your hands. So help yourself to that. And then just find 1 John chapter 3. It's the, if you go to the end of the Bible, it's the fifth to last book. And the, uh, the big numbers there are the chapters. And the small numbers are the verses, and so turn to 1 John chapter 3, verse 11. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods, and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, 
Let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Now I read that, and, and it's obvious that this is a passage about how we as Christians should love one another. But did you notice there the connection with the resurrection? Verse 14. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Passed out of death into life. That's resurrection talk. No human can pass out of death into life, right? That's impossible. Ah, but there was one human who did that. Perfect man, perfect God, Jesus Christ. Because Jesus rose from the dead, resurrection is possible for us humans. What is impossible with man is possible with God. And so John can say, we have passed out of death into life. And then love is the outcome of the resurrection. More about that right away. But there's a second connection there in verse 16. First, this is, you all know John 3.16. This is 1 John 3.16. And it's actually more here about the death of Jesus, about what happened on, on Good Friday. Look at verse 16 again. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. Here we have this connection between Jesus' actions in dying with love. And so the death of Christ and the resurrection of Christ ought to lead those that are affected by the death of Christ and the resurrection of Christ to love others. Without the death of Christ and the resurrection of Christ, this kind of inclination towards love would not be there. It wouldn't exist. The resurrection, by definition, is transformation. Change. Huge transformation and change. It's the biggest change that is humanly possible. Death to life. And because it's such a radical change, it should, be, it should bring about radically new kinds of people with radically new kinds of lives. And the biggest change is this ability to love one another. Christian love is not a natural ability. If it were natural, John wouldn't have to emphasize it, but it's a supernatural ability given us by God to do unnatural kinds of things towards people that are part of our new family as believers, as Christians. And probably the greatest supernatural ability that has been given to us by God is the ability to love. I want us to think about that this Easter. How has the resurrection Christ's resurrection and our consequent resurrection from death to life changed us in in how we are commanded to love one another. We have been raised to new life, to a new kind of living. Romans 6, 4 says, Just as Christ was raised from the dead, there's the resurrection again, by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. And 2 Corinthians 5, 17, just a beautiful picture. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... He is a new creation. The old has passed away, and the new has come. You see, we have been resurrected. We have been reborn, and we are new. And what do new creations of God look like? I'll just look back a little bit. If you turn to 2 Corinthians 5, just a few verses back, in verse 14, it says this. 
for the love of Christ, for the love of Christ controls us. It controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live, those who have been resurrected, might no longer live for themselves, but for him for the, who for their sakes died and was raised. Did you follow that? Jesus died for us, and because Jesus died for us, that is, his death was, was outward-looking, it was an act of selfless love directed towards sinful people, then the logic is, how could we as blood-bought people ever live for ourselves? We live for Jesus who died and was raised. And what is it that con- should control our lives and our actions and our attitude? The love of Christ controls us. And that love that Christ unleashed towards us is what, to, what ought to control our new life in Christ. Does the love of Christ control you? I think we could all probably say we, do, we could do a lot better. But for those of us that truly understand Christ's love toward us in his death, in his resurrection, and in our consequent resurrection from the dead, from being dead in sins to alive in Christ, we will be controlled, we will be compelled by the love of Christ. And that compulsion will show up in how we love one another. Our eternal family, the saints, the church. The passage in 1 John 3 is really just giving us that assurance. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we have loved the brothers. The fact that we love our brothers and our sisters helps us know for sure that we are part of God's family. Know know for sure that we are saved. In verse 12, back in 1 John 3, John tells us that we are not like Cain anymore. Cain represents those that are not like Christ. He represents the unrighteous. In fact, John says that he was actually of the evil one. He belonged to Satan. His story is told way back in Genesis chapter 4, the fourth chapter of the Bible. He's the one who is the son of Adam and the one who murdered his brother Abel. He is the opposite. This is the picture John is painting. He's the opposite of someone who loved. In fact, he murdered. That's about as opposite from love as you can get, right? John asks, why did he murder his brother? Answer, simply here, because his own deeds were evil and his brothers righteous could say a lot more about what happened there but I think John is just playing on the word brother here a true Christian verse 11 will love his brother but someone who hates and murdered his murders who his brother belongs to the evil one that's why verse 13 says don't be surprised here it is again brothers when the world hates you The world hates the brothers and the sisters. The Cains, the one who belonged to the devil, hate the righteous brothers. They hate the Abels. They'll try to get rid of them, to kill them. Christians, on the other hand, will love the brothers. We're starting to see this attitude of hatred more and more in our world, aren't we? Christians, where we live, might not yet be physically persecuted for the most part. But we are getting more and more marginalized, 
pushed over to the side, seen as wacky a little bit, as irrelevant. If we stand up for the beliefs of the Bible, we will be increasingly pushed to the margins and seen as extremists. Or, of all things, we get to be seen as haters. You can see that most in the media, especially around Easter. Every Easter, it seems like, major magazines will print some kind of article that just paints Christians as being naive for believing something as crazy as the resurrection. Someone just told me at a prayer meeting on Wednesday that the, apparently there was a professor down in the States who asked her students to take a piece of paper, write on it the name Jesus, and then had them stomp on these pieces of paper. Now, I'm not sure what the point of that exercise was, but you can see that at the highest levels of education, Christianity is being undermined and attacked. And they're trying to get our, our people while they're young, while they're students, while they're impressionable. John says, don't be surprised. We can expect that kind of response from the unrighteous. And then verse 14, I love this. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Are we haters? No. We are those who love one another. Our resurrection has transformed us from being haters and murderers who abide in death to those who love each other and have eternal life. The resurrection life is a loving kind of life. There are many benefits and outworkings of the resurrection, but the main characteristic of someone who has gone from being dead in sins to being alive in Christ is that there is a willing and, and a joyful and an exuberant love toward fellow Christians, toward those in the family of God, toward those who are our brothers and sisters in the Lord. And all of this comes through the example of our Savior. On this Resurrection Sunday, we have to go back to Him. And John does exactly that there in 1 John 3. Look at verses 16 to 18 again. By this we know love. How? That he, Jesus, laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk but indeed in truth. Our model and our example of love is none other than our Lord Jesus Christ. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. Where does this new ability to love come from? We look to Jesus. How can we know how to love one another? We look to Christ. How can we know to what degree we ought to love? we look to Jesus. His life was a laying down his life kind of love. Jesus would already give a hint of that command to love just before he died. In the Gospel of John chapter 13, after he washes his disciples' feet, he says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You, are al you also are to love one another. Now that's a bit of an odd thing to say. The command to love wasn't new. It's, it's all through the New Testament or, and the Old Testament. 
Why did Jesus say this was a new commandment? It's new because we now have a concrete example, which we never had before. It's a new command in that way. Just as Jesus has loved us by laying down his life for us, that's how we ought to love one another. What's new is this example of self-sacrifice. We now have a model to follow. And John says it again in that passage that Pastor Wayne read for us. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. And here in 1 John, John is just pushing this image of death and life a little bit farther. Rather than murder and hate, true Christians will follow their Lord Jesus Christ and lay down their lives. They'll lay down their lives. They won't take lives. They'll lay them down, their own life. That's what the resurrection does for us. It changes our whole outlook. It brings us to the point where we love each other so much that we'd be willing to lay down our lives for each other. That's what marks people who are true children of God. They are selfless. They are willing to give up everything because the love of Christ compels them. We somehow are changed to become people of open hearts. John gives another example there in verse 17. And then a final instruction in verse 18. If anyone has the world's good and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. God has recreated us. He's given us new life so that we would be a people of open hearts, not closed hearts. People who love in, in deed and in truth. Now I got to tell you, I was thrilled to see this kind of love in action in our church in the past number of weeks in our ladies' time out ministry. A month or so ago, just through a prayer request, and I might get some of these details wrong, but a, a physical issue was revealed by one of the gals. And in the course of that request, it came to light that although there's seemingly no cure for this issue from a medical standpoint, there, there was a way to help with the physical effects. But the cost, the financial cost, was too steep. Now the prayer request was just to ask for strength, I think, to, to, to be able to deal with this news. But one lady that heard the request got the idea that all the ladies together that were part of this these ladies' Bible studies, could meet this financial need. In the spirit of 1 John 3.17, she saw a sister in need. Well, she mentioned that to the rest of the ladies, and long story short, over the course of a month or so, these ladies were able to collect all the necessary funds, I think even very close to the penny. It was amazing this past Wednesday to just sort of stand in the background and watch as these ladies made the presentation. And immediately afterwards, they stood in a circle and said, and sang a song together, I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. It was an extremely moving and emotional time. Well, what possessed these ladies to do that? Better, what compelled them to do that? What caused them to open their hearts to this sister in need? I'll tell you what it was. It was a collection of hearts of ladies who have passed out of death into life, ladies that, that have been themselves so changed by the one who laid down his life for them and was raised from the dead that they knew they could not just love in word and talk, but that they needed to show their love in deed and in truth. I mean, the world 
would just look at that and be amazed. For a group of just a few ladies to raise thousands of dollars, well, that's something that could only happen because something has happened to them. Something supernatural has happened to them. A resurrection has happened to them. They have been so transformed by the lay down his love, love of Christ, lay down his life, love of Christ, to such a degree that they would selflessly and sacrificially open their hearts toward a sister in need. That's what resurrection love looks like. And as an extra bonus, if we live like that, if we love like that, John 13, 35, right after Jesus talks about this new commandment to love one another, he says, by this all people will know, this is the world now, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. This kind of love is strange to the world, but this kind of love is an attraction. It's a, it's a form of witness to the world and an added motivation for us to practice that kind of selfless sacrificial love. We want people to know how we love one another, how the resurrection can change us. Well, the resurrection of Jesus has many benefits, and sometimes we just think about the future benefits, which we definitely should think about. Christ's resurrection is the first fruits of our future resurrection. The resurrection is the ground of our future hope. The resurrection of Jesus is a picture of what will happen to our bodies. We too will be raised But the benefits and changes are not only future changes. The resurrection changes everything for us right now. We have the ability to follow and obey all of God's commands, especially the command to love one another. And we obey that command not out of a sense of duty, but out of a willing and loving desire to follow the example of our Lord who laid down his life for us so that we might go from being dead in our sins to being made alive with Christ and to love others in the same way that he loved us. And so on this Resurrection Sunday, I encourage you to keep looking for opportunities to model the love of Christ to each other. Be amazed at the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Be amazed at how the resurrection of Jesus led to your own resurrection out of death into life. And then keep on loving one another. I love how the Apostle Paul writes to the church of Thessalonica. And I close with this out of 1 Thessalonians 4, 9 to 10 as a a final exhortation. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you or to talk to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that is indeed what you are doing. But we urge you to do this more and more. Let the resurrection of Christ transform you today to be the kind of person that opens his heart to those in need and loves just as Christ loved us.